This podcast is brought to you by our lovely friends at Channel Factory, who ensure that your advertising appears in the most brand safe and brand suitable environments across all of your YouTube campaigns. Welcome to another episode of the Blooming North podcast, where each month we delve into topics designed to inspire you, empower you, and guide you towards a more fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. Today's topic of conversation is something which I feel is being spoken about a lot more often recently, and rightfully so. But equally, I think it's a subject that carries a lot of uncertainty, a degree of fear, and needs a lot more conversation and that is allyship. And today I couldn't ask for two better guests to help me unpack this topic. I'm joined by Seb Randall, who is a people-focused consultant and coach, founder at The Helpful Space, ex-social chain development coach, and our head of allyship this year for Bloom North, which was a newly created role as we really recognize the importance of this space. And I'm also joined by Robert Baker, founder and CEO of Potentia Talent Consulting. Robert is a passionate advocate for diversity, equity and inclusion and after 40 years in global HR consulting, he now runs his own business advising organisations on attracting, retaining and developing the best talent and building diverse teams. So let's get started. Maybe a good place to start would be just to say hello, maybe introduce yourselves and also it'd be good to get what your definition of allyship is. So Seb, we'll we'll start with you. Hello. Hi. Uh, Thanks so much for having me and... Just so pleased that we could marry these two worlds and bring Robert into into our world to speak about allyship today. Um, my definition of allyship is really just being willing to stand in the shoes of somebody who is very different from you. Um, for me, allyship is really about walking in the shoes of somebody else who might be very different to you and really sort of bringing that empathy to that relationship to really understand what that other person needs. And, you know, I think I've always been very sort of conscious of the women around me and I've learned a lot of skills from the women around me. And so I naturally have maybe gravitated towards women and thought about what is it that they need. So that's kind of why I'm here doing the role that I'm doing. Amazing. And and Robert, what would you say your definition of allyship is? Uh, well, thanks, Rachel. And it's great to be here with you and Seb uh, today. Yeah, I, I think allyship, I guess, um, historically, if you like, has been very much linked with what men can do to support women in the workplace. But I think what's happening now is we're seeing the definition of allyship kind of widened because then what we're realizing, based on what Seb's saying there, for example, that, you know, actually we can all support each other. We can all be allies to each other. We can all be partners uh, to each other to help uh, build gender equity and and to build wider diversity and inclusion. So I think in, in, in essence, in the end, uh, allyship is, is is someone, indeed all of us potentially, uh, taking an interest in the experiences of others and the issues and the challenges that others have and being prepared to use our own skills and capabilities and sometimes the advantages that we have in the positions of power that we have to make things better, to, to level the playing field, basically. So that's how I see it. Yeah, I love that. And obviously, Robert, you enjoyed a successful career in the world of investment, but you now operate more of a portfolio career with gender equity at the heart of what you do. What What's really driven you towards this mission? 
Well, uh, I, I think uh, it's great now to be able to do things that, uh, and as I want to do, having done my time in the corporate world. So it's great to be able to run my own business and link up with other people who share my passion for gender equality, uh, but also broader diversity and inclusion as well. So I think originally what drove me um, was you know, coming from, dare I say, at the working classes, going to university, which is very much uh, middle-class university, feeling a little bit in the odd one out, uh, uh, always aware, I think, of the fact that, 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 that I might have a different experience from others. And I think when I moved to London, I realised, my gosh, what a diverse city London is, you know, and around me, again, people having very different experiences depending on their, their background and their circumstances. So I think I've always been driven by kind of this sense of we really need to have a more just, fair and equitable situation for, for, for all of us really um, uh, but 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 I started getting very involved with women's networks for example because I was asked as one of the few men standing up at that time probably about 15 years ago uh, to speak up about gender uh, equality and gender equity um, so I was asked to join the board of women's networks I was one of the few men on the board of women's networks and I, I was kind of reflecting if you like and you know, why was I so interested in in this and what I realized was actually that that I saw gender equity as benefiting me as well. And I came across this wonderful quote from Gloria Steinem that explained everything to me. And Gloria is an amazing uh, role model feminist, etc. But what she says is, once men realize that gender roles are a prison for them too, they become really valuable allies because they're not just helping somebody else, they're freeing themselves. And kind of what I realized was the work that I was doing was freeing me from all the stereotypes and the, the ways that men are supposed to be. And so I think that's been one of my key motivations, really, to do this work. And obviously, Seb, you know, you've recently taken on the mantle of head of allyship as well for Bloom North. And this was something we've not had previously. It was a position that we just newly created in a similar sort of guise. You know, we've recognised the need to have male voices in these conversations, but also have men as allies in our industry Obviously, you don't claim, Seb, to be an expert in this field. You're very much learning as you go. Every day is a school day. And, and I will say that for me as well, in the sense that, you know, this is a very much a journey in terms of learning how you can um, be a better ally. So, Seb, how, how has your journey been so far as taking on the role of head of allyship? That's a big question. And there's been a lot to think about, really. And your point there about me not professing to be an expert is right. What I try and do is put myself out there to lean into these important conversations, right? And to show that men can do this by, you know, following certain certain behaviours or certain things that they need to do. And it starts from the point of really kind of unlearning. There's a feeling around certain men of a bit of guilt and a bit of shame in some ways because... Ultimately, men have been part of the structures that have created the way that things are right now. So there's a bit of discomfort there, which I think men need to be aware of. But there's so many brilliant organisations like the Other Box who are running allyship training that really helps you to dissect your privilege in a bit more detail and understand how to use that for good. Um, if you look out into the world, into LinkedIn, and you see people like Robert and people like Lee Chambers and Danielle Biandaka, who are all doing amazing work in this space, there's always people to kind of learn from. And I think it's just having that willingness to put yourself out there and do these things, you know. I think as well, it's the fear of getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing that often puts people off sort of engaging in these conversations because 
if you're in a privileged position and you sort of say something that you deem to be, I don't know, inappropriate or something about a marginalised group, it, you just, just better say nothing at all sometimes. And I think that's the stereotype we're trying to sort of break down is we, we want people to have these conversations and, and, and actually get it wrong sometimes because there's no... There's no harm in getting it wrong because that's all part of the journey and the process. Would you agree, Robert? Oh, no, totally. And I, I remember in my early days of joining my first women's network with 12 super smart women and me on the board uh, thinking like, now, do I call them ladies? Do I call them women? You know, like kind of what, what language do I use? Um, and I've got plenty wrong over time. And what's great is when people that support you and in a sense are allies to you, help you, correct you, point you on the right path. And that's come up particularly uh, recently more in the conversations I've had about things like racial uh, equity, where I'm far less adept, if you like, than I was with all the experience that I've had with gender equity. Uh, so I really benefited from having conversations with people that know a lot more about it than me, learning from them and and. Yeah, admitting that uh, there are times when I haven't expressed things in the right way or uh, I could have done a better job on something. Uh, but that's all part of the learning. And I think, actually, if you've got the right intention, people do give you a huge amount of kind of credit for that, even if sometimes things that you intend don't land the way you intend them. So um, when we did our survey of male leaders, and I'll talk about this a bit more later, last year, Daniele Fiendarka and I, we asked them about the barriers that they saw as male leaders engaging in diversity and inclusion. Fear of getting it wrong was one of the top five things that they reported as was holding them back potentially. So I think we really have to create an environment where people can make mistakes, say what they think, obviously not maliciously, if you like. Um, we call it accidental sexisms or accidental you know, um, trip-ups, as it were. But, but I think with the right positive intent, uh, 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 you know, and and the the feeling that you want to learn and uh, from 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 it, then I think you know you should be good. And Robert, as well, you've been known for talking about the say do gap when it comes to male allyship. What would your top tips be to help men sort of step into action and lean into this more? Well, I think the say do gap uh, applies to both companies and it applies to individual leaders and individual men as well. Um, I think firstly, the say do gap with companies is where they say, for example, gender equity is really important. But when you look at their gender pay gap or you look at the poor representation of women in leadership and you don't see much going on um, you know, by them to, to fix it, then you realise there is a gap between the say and the do at an organisational level. But of course, there's also the say and the do gap for us individual men as well. You know, I talk good game, right? But am I doing uh, what I say I should be doing? So I, I think the number one thing that I would suggest, if you like, that men do to show that they are doing as well as saying is to actually think about the why, uh, why this is so important to them, you know, articulate their mission to others. I think that's one of the first steps. And I was in a meeting last week where the CEO of an organization stood up before I did my presentation and he said, this is why this topic, gender equality, diversity, inclusion is important to me, important to the organization and important to you. And like he, he, he very clearly pinned his colours to the mast on that. So I think that's one of the first things that, that men have got to do to close that say-do gap. Now, admittedly, at that stage, it's more saying than doing. But I think just standing up in front of his leadership team and saying that, I think it's important. But then when we get into actually what you know men can do, things like, for example, just enhancing your awareness of what women in the workplace uh, go through. It's amazing how many male leaders have no idea what the women in their organizations go through on a daily basis. Uh, but when you uh, get the women to talk about it and it's revealed to the men, they're kind of shocked often uh, that women's experiences are so different. 
Um, the other thing we get men to do, of course, is to think about their own biases and their own stereotypes. Again, there's some work that they can do there. Um, and the things that sometimes they might find difficult, like speaking up if you see bias or bad behavior in a meeting, you call it out or you call it in or you do something about it. You know. So um, we've actually got a kind of checklist that Daniele Fiendarka and I developed uh, of the things that you can do as a male ally to show up here. So you know, happy to talk about that some more. But there are some very concrete things that you can do as a man to role model this uh, for others. And uh, but a big part of it really, I think, is understanding and communicating to others why this is so important to you. I'd be really keen to unpack some of those practical tips because I think when you speak about sort of maybe calling someone out in a meeting or it can be quite a difficult yeah. thing to do, can't it? Especially if it's, you know, in quite a formal setting, there's lots of people in the room. How do you know when it's the, an appropriate time or do you take it sort of out of the room? I guess it's very circumstantial, isn't it? It depends on the situation, but it'd be interesting to hear from you, Robert, just on yeah. those practical things that can be applied to sort of the day-to-day -day working place. Well, I think you have to make a judgment uh, and that's obviously what leadership's about, making judgments, uh, you know, about when is the right thing to do the right behaviour. So, for example, if a woman's being talked over in a meeting, I think it's fairly easy to say, hey, listen, can you let you know Jennifer speak, basically, and finish what she was saying? Or let's listen to Jennifer's ideas about this. That's a fairly uncontroversial thing you can actually say in the meeting. Okay, But if, for example, you saw something which was you know, inappropriate harassment going on, uh, uh, you know, it might be that you, you take that person outside of the meeting or you discuss it with them outside. I mean, so it's about making a judgment. And I think that is a little bit difficult sometimes for us. But, but you know, I think we should be able to do that. It's not really that hard, I don't think. So it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's making a judgment about the situation. What does the situation merit? How do I deal with it in the most effective way? Uh, and how do I get the people concerned to change their behaviour? Uh, those are the kind of key things you need to ask yourself. And Seb, recently we ran an allyship workshop, didn't we, um, for some of the, the men in our industry. What were the key sort of takeouts from that in terms of, I know it was a very open session, wasn't it? And people were very honest about their experiences in the workplace and how they, I guess, maybe have fear around stepping into these sort of conversations. What, what were the key takeouts from that session? And do you feel that there was a lot of benefit off the back of it? Definitely, definitely. I, you know, it was, it was such a, a useful thing to do, I think. And the feedback was that First off, the men really, really valued the session to be able to speak openly about some of these things. You know, like Robert was say, saying earlier, sorry, um, one of the big parts of allyship is thinking about the fact that it is benefiting you, you know, and, and a lot of these guys had young daughters and they were thinking about, you know, what, what kind of world do I want to create for the next generation and these females in my family? Um, so from that point of view, there was a lot of honesty and, and great intention. Um, and I think, you know, something else that, I, that we need to sort of balance alongside this conversation around men supporting women is that men also need the support. You know, it, it kind of, it, it communicated the fact that, you know, people were sharing experiences of friends of theirs who'd committed suicide for example uh, uh you know and we're we're hyper aware of the the suicide rates for men so but these two things can exist uh next to one another you know just because we're supporting women doesn't mean that we don't support men at the same time 
So that was something that came out of it too. I think what I noticed was that in that space, everyone was very engaged with a hell of a lot to say. But then once you leave the space, it's kind of what Robert was talking about. How do you implement the observations that have come from that? You know, we all kind of agreed on a number of different areas. Perhaps the most key, which is shocking really, is the fact that women in our industry still don't feel safe when they go to industry events. And that feels absolutely shocking to me. And the fact that we can't create something or some kind of, I don't know, it's it's like a manifesto of how to behave in our industry. You know, alcohol gets involved when you go to these events and things like that, and all of a sudden bad behaviours creep in. And, you know, we don't want that type of behaviour. So going back to your question about the actual session itself, I think it provokes so much good conversation, but it, now it's about implementing through these frameworks that people like Robert and Daniela have created to show that we actually mean what we're saying here and that this has to change. Yeah, it goes back to the say-do thing, doesn't it? And ultimately, allyship is a verb. It's got to be a doing word, hasn't it? You know, If people aren't taking action and doing these things on a day-to-day level, then no, no change is going to happen. Exactly, yeah. What, what would you say have been the key resources that you've, because obviously this is a journey for you and you're quite early on in your allyship journey. Mm-hmm. What, what resources have you really leaned on to educate yourself? Yeah, I think, um, you, you know, you have to absorb the information. You have to proactively go out there and seek seek the information in terms of the practical training that I mentioned before. So the other box have some amazing allyship training that myself and quite a few other people from Bloom have um, have taken on uh, to learn, like I said, about privilege and to dissect that because everyone knows they have privilege, but they don't quite understand it fully dissected and what that means. Um, I think also a big part of allyship is putting yourself in spaces where there are different types of people, listening to to people that you might not ordinarily, you know, mix with, you know, uh, it's it's about just opening your ears to what other people are experiencing. And so, you know, I would encourage any men out there to just think about that. If they're leading a group of people, you know, often you can um, maybe trust certain voices to kind of feed that information into you, but maybe go beyond that, you know, and and ask questions of the people that are unfamiliar to you and and try and um, boost your awareness, I suppose, for what a diverse range of people need. If I could just add to what what Seb was just saying there, Danielle Fiendarka and I have been running workshops for companies uh, who want to set up allyship programs. And we're working with a client at the moment that's got a defined allyship group. And it's quite a wide definition of allyship. In other words, they have men, women, uh, in fact, all, all genders. But one of the most powerful sessions that we ran recently for the allies group was we had a panel of women and non-binary and trans people on the panel to talk about their experiences of bias, discrimination, you know, in the workplace, et cetera, and beyond. And what we found was that this panel that we did of uh, female non-binary trans presenters, if you like, uh, talking to us about their experiences was hugely powerful for the allies that were in the group because they hadn't heard those kind of voices before. They hadn't heard about those kind of experiences before. 
And I think it goes back to Seb's point that we do need to hear these voices of others uh, that are different to us, to understand their lived experiences, to understand their experiences in the workplace, so that we can show up as better allies and change things to level the playing field. Absolutely. And really, have you got any examples of how much this needs to be done? So how important this conversation needs to be in terms of allyship? Because obviously panels like that and hearing other people's lived experiences are really, really important in terms of, you know, educating people. But are there any sort of hard hitting facts just around the workplace or around gender inequality or, or things that can just really give us reason as to why this is such an important conversation that needs to be had? Well, where I started was a book called Everyday Sexism, which is written by Laura Bates. And that's a few years old now, but it was a very, very powerful introduction to me of the experiences that women faced in the workplace and outside the workplace. And I had no idea what women were going through at that point. So that book was hugely influential uh, to me. Uh, another book that I read, again, that was very influential was The Authority Gap, written by Marianne Seigart. And that basically explains why men don't really listen to women, okay, why there is this authority gap. When women say something, it's somehow not as deemed as you know, powerful or listened to as, as, as men. So, so those kind of documents really make you understand better the challenges that women face in the workplace and at the home, etc. But then, of course, on top of that, you've got the harassments, uh, which can obviously sometimes also be very serious as well. And I was shocked, you know, I mean, just really looking at the newspapers these days. I think last week there was a report about female surgeons and medics in the UK getting harassment, uh, sexual harassment from their male colleagues. And, you know, so just keeping your eyes open for what you see in, in, you know, in, in, in the media is also a really important too. And of course, now we've got a huge topic on our plate with uh, the latest, uh, with, with Russell Brand, for example. So it's kind of like we have around us regularly examples of uh, the challenges that people face uh, in this space. And, and we just need to be aware of them and open to them. But those are some of the things that have impacted me deeply uh, in, in the work that I do. I was going to mention the Russell Brand thing, actually, because there was another comedian that spoke up, wasn't there, yes. and actually acted really as an ally for him. And I think that's maybe something we should just discuss a little bit, because I think it's quite rare that people sort of put their name to something like that and really stand out in a public arena. And and this is exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? This is exactly what needs to be done. Yeah, I think for that other comedian to to kind of step up because... He, of the knowledge that he has rather than maybe drifting into the background because it feels challenging. It's part of his industry where he works and, you know, it could affect his career if it's not received in the best way. And there's a lot there, isn't there? But ultimately, he obviously was trusting a hunch that he had that something wasn't right. And so he was speaking up and that's absolutely what we should all be doing more because a lot of us allow things to bypass us that we know aren't right and yet for an easy life we sit back and we and we don't say anything and it's just perpetuating a problem isn't it yeah and one of the things that i've done which has been quite powerful but also quite challenging at times uh, i've joined this group called men who support women on linkedin it's run by a lady called anima Kose. i don't know seb i think you've been involved uh, with it as well Um, but basically she's often posting uh, things that have happened to women, which she wants men to speak up about. And, and so she's actually got a very good track record now of getting men to speak up 
about some of these issues and she's been running uh, sessions on Clubhouse and it's creating a conversation about this and not letting it die down because I think that's the problem really. Often with the media, something can be a sensation for a short while uh, but then everyone moves on. Whereas actually what we know is there are underlying structural issues with our world that create disadvantages for women and uh, and people of colour and, and, and other underrepresented groups. And where we have power and privilege in that environment, we've got to use it to level the playing field, as I, as I keep saying. So I think it is important that we, we, we don't keep quiet about this and, and we address it. Unfortunately, actually, there are some fun ways you can do that. So, for example, uh, I think you mentioned um, in the introduction, uh, Rachel, to me uh, about Barbie, for example, okay, in the movie. I mean, I went to see Barbie and I thought, my God, this is a really great way of having a conversation with somebody about gender roles and, you know, uh, how men can support women and vice versa. And, and I think you know, that's been a great way into conversations about this, even into more serious things, such as, for example, there are some sections of boys and men right now that are really struggling and need support at the same time as, of course, the women need support as well. So it's kind of really interesting. It's a highly topical and it is highly you know, charged as well. But I think if we can find ways to talk about it that bring everyone into the conversation, I think we can then sort of start to deal with this. Because what we do know is women won't fix it on their own. Men won't fix it on their own. We actually have to fix it across all genders, really, to do that. Absolutely. It has to be a collective effort, doesn't it? And I think the recent example of the Spanish kiss in women's football as well, there's just so many things in the media at the moment which are all about this sort of imbalance that we're facing. What would you say, Robert, would be any other resources? I know you've spoken about workshops and things that you've done in your line of work. Just in terms of sort of key takeaways from this podcast that our listeners can go away and action, have you got any resources that people can mm -hmm. look into? Sure. Well, I, I would refer people back to the study that Daniele Fiendarka and I did uh, in November. We published it last year. And it's really good insight into the benefits that men can have from leading in or leaning in to diversity and inclusion. So I would very happily kind of send you the details of that. You can share it with your readers. Uh, we'd love more and more people to, to read that. What it showed is 80% of the leaders surveyed uh, thought that the diversity and inclusion work that they were doing was better for their business. But 97% said that they, it made them a better leader and a better human being. And when we kind of explored what they meant by that, what they said was, actually, that they become more open to new ideas and learning. Uh, they become more empathetic and patient. They become more willing to challenge the status quo. And they'd also been able to be more authentic in their leadership and display some of this vulnerability to, uh, vulnerability we talked about earlier. And, and ultimately, they'd felt they built better connections with others in their workplace and were now more trusted by them. So I think that's the, that's the kind of very valuable resource uh, for leaders. And I use it in all the workshops uh, that I do these days for leaders. I did it, I used it in the workshop I did last week um, with this um, uh, global engineering company. And it's like, look, men that are already showing up as allies and leaning into diversity inclusion are seeing benefits from doing that, both at a human level for themselves, but also for the organizations they work in. You need to grasp that and change your organization and change yourself as a leader to really benefit from that. Step up, basically, step forward, be an ally and, uh, and be a leader from the front on this because that's what your people are expecting. And are you really noticing a positive change across the industries that you work in 
in this space do you really see that people are taking this seriously and that this is this is moving in the right direction or do you still think there's a lot more to do well i think if you ask a lot of my female colleagues if you like and compatriots they feel that we're still a long way from where we need to be if you look at the representation of women in leadership it's still not good enough gender pay gap etc the fact we have these issues about microaggressions and harassment for women in the workplace and beyond so there's a let's not underplay that there are still enormous steps that we need to take as a society and as companies and as individuals to improve. But I think what I see, the very fact you've got a call like today with Seb and me on it and, and other men that we know showing up, there are starting to be more men now stepping up into this field. And we're starting to see more male leaders in companies and organizations stepping up, but we need more basically. So I'm on a push at the moment to get more men um, uh, leaning in on this. And last Tuesday, we ran an event at Chief where Professor Elizabeth Keelan was talking about her new book, Men Stepping Forward. And I'd thoroughly recommend that book as another resource to everybody. It's a, it's a relatively thin book, but it's got some very key research-based ideas about how men can step up on this. And she talks about having a vision, enabling others to create change, and role modeling. So as leaders, we need to role model. So, so I think basically, if more of us uh, take, take that approach, I think things will improve and they'll improve more quickly. So I think we are on the right track. Things are improving, but let's not underestimate the amount of work today. So we need more male allies. We need more allies generally. Uh, so we need to get this message out there and, 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 and really start to engage more people to do this work. Completely agree. And Seb, obviously your work with Bloom has been brilliant this year. Would you say that we're moving in the right direction as an industry in this space? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more awareness. I think there are men definitely who are starting to do the work within their own organisations. And just echoing what Robert said, you know, I love the phrase, what got us here won't necessarily get us there. And that to me summarises what we need to be doing here. We just need to be adapting and thinking ever so slightly differently and thinking from the perspective of other people and not necessarily just ourselves. And hopefully through these channels that we've set up and we've actually got a male panel event running later this year uh, that I wanted to plug on the podcast because uh, we've got Robert, we've got Daniele, and we've also got Lee Chambers who helped run the men's session that we were speaking about before, all coming together with a female host as our final event of the year, which... I just think is super, super exciting and really gives us an opportunity to bring all of these thoughts together in one space to support our industry further. So I'm, I'm just so excited about what that's going to be. Yeah, and I think that's a brilliant place for us to wrap up. Robert, we're really excited to have you at the panel event. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to hear how that conversation unfolds. And it's the first time we've ever actually had a, a masculine-focused event with male speakers. It's going to be amazing. And thank you for the invitation. All I would say is let's make sure we get a big chunk of men in the audience too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And that is, um, that is the ambition because ultimately it's about education, isn't it? And we need men in the audience to be able to educate. So thank you both so much for joining us today. And is there a place that people can follow you or connect with you if they want to reach out and find out more about allyship? I'm a, personally a simple LinkedIn guy. So follow me individually on LinkedIn uh, at Robert Baker. I also have my company, Potential Talent Consulting, which people can follow as well. I will be doing more from the point of view of outreach, but I mean, that's good for now. Uh, or find me at my email address, robert at potential-talent.com. 
Thanks, Robert. And Seb, if people want to reach out to you? Similar for me. I have a profile on LinkedIn that I use quite regularly. So it's Seb Randall. And also my consultancy is The Helpful Space, where I'm also starting to support men through coaching around allyship as well. And also on Instagram, The Helpful Space. Wonderful. Thank you both very much for your time. Cheers, Rachel. Thank Cheers, you. Seb. Thank you. And have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for another episode of The Blooming North. We'd love to hear from you. So if you've not already, please go to Bloom North, become a connection. We hope you found this podcast interesting. Also, get in touch if you've got any thoughts on topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Until next time, we'll see you soon. This podcast was brought to you by Channel Factory, who ensure that all your advertising appears in the most brand safe and brand suitable environments across all your YouTube campaigns.